So this morning, we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through 2 Peter. So please turn in your Bibles this morning to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at a small portion of Scripture. We, we grabbed the first half of chapter 1 last week, which was verses 1 through 15. So we're going to finish up chapter 1 this morning, and it's verses uh, 16 through 21. So not 1 Peter, but 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses... Uh, 16 through 21. Let's uh, read the scriptures together. Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made by him, to excuse me, to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Lord, again, thank you for your word. And Father, as we dive into this passage this morning, Lord, open our hearts and feed us and let us be encouraged and strengthened in the faith. In Jesus' mighty name I pray again, Lord God. Amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is, Why Believe the Bible? Why, why believe the Bible? The context of 2 Peter, this book that we're going verse by verse through, is it's a letter written in defense of the Christian faith. It's meant to defend the faith against false teachers. Against false teachers. For 2,000 years, skeptics have rejected prophecy. They've tried to explain away the supernatural, and they've outright denied the supremacy and the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe in this passage that we're looking at this morning, Peter is answering a question. I believe questions have come from these Christians that he's writing this letter to, and he's answering a question. And I think the question that they may be asking, is the Bible true? Is the Bible true in everything it says? Did the events recorded in Scripture, did they really happen? This was written 15, 20, maybe 30 years after the fact. It was well after the time of Christ. It was well after the ascension. They weren't there to witness it. So they're asking Peter, did this really happen? Did God truly come in the flesh? Or is this all made up? Hocus pocus. Is this just a story made up? And the big question when you come to the conclusion of that question is, can I truly trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Can I truly trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and build my life upon his word and expect what happened in the Bible to these believers that got saved? Can I expect that same result in my life? I believe that this is who Peter has in mind as he pens 
verses um, 16 through 21. He has people in mind that have these questions. You know, I ask you this morning, how convinced are you of the truth of Christianity? On a percentage scale from zero to 100%, how convinced are you? I hope at the close of this message that you will not be 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, but you will be 110% convinced that the Bible is true. That the Bible is true. Maybe you're here this morning and you have doubts. If you do, this passage is for you. God had you in mind when this portion of Scripture was written, when this portion of Scripture was inspired to encourage that one who has questions, who has doubts. So please bear with me for the next 30 to 35 minutes and let's listen closely to Peter's words as he pens them as they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to set up this passage because it's a very short passage and we're going to take a couple detours to the left, a couple detours to the right. But I want to set up this passage for you. First, we are going to look inside the Bible. We're going to look inside the Bible for the evidence of Jesus that this is true. Then after we look inside, then we're going to look outside the Bible. And then after we look outside the Bible, we're going to look at the purpose of the Bible. So you you with me? It's inside, outside, and then the purpose. So let's take a look at inside the Bible. Let's start starting with verse 16. Let's look at the testimony of Scripture as the Word of God has been given to us here in um, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 16. Peter is writing these words inspired by the Spirit, and he says in verse 16, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. The first thing Peter does in this passage of Scripture is he makes an emphatic statement. He makes a very emphatic, bold statement that leaves no room for doubt. He's saying, we did not make this up. This is not made up. These are not wise tales. He's saying, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They did not follow cleverly devised tales. This wasn't just them made up a story one day and spread it. He says, we were eyewitnesses is what Peter says. That's Peter, another disciple. Let's look at what he said. John the Apostle, John the Beloved, that wrote the Gospel of John and wrote the three epistles. Listen to what John says. John says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-2, through 2, he says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen, and we testify, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. So this is John's statement on him eyewitnessing Jesus and seeing his life and being there at the cross, being there at the resurrection, seeing all the things that took place. How about the Apostle Paul? Let's look at the Apostle Paul's statement concerning this and being an eyewitness. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, 
most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. So what we've looked at in these three passages from Peter, John, and Paul, we're looking at the internal evidence. We're looking inside the Bible to see the evidence of the gospel. And all of these statements made by Peter, John, and Paul, these are not visions. These are not revelations. Peter says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw it with our eyes. This wasn't an epiphany. I didn't see this in a dream at night. We saw it with our eyes. John says, we've heard it. We've seen it with our eyes. We've looked at it. We've touched it with our hands. And then Paul uses the word in his passage in Corinthians, Paul likes the word appear. And he says, appeared to Cephas, appeared to more than 500 brethren, appeared to James, appeared to me also. So these were not visions and revelations. These were eyewitness human accounts of the life and the majesty and the glory and the death and the resurrection and the miracles and the life of Jesus Christ. And then all, all three of these guys, Peter, John, and Paul, they make forceful, they're very forceful and emphatic statements in the language that is used. Peter, the emphatic, forceful words that Peter uses in, um, in verse 16, he says, we make this known to you. In other words, we proclaim it. You can know this for sure. We make this known to you. John uses the phrase in his passage, he says, we testify and we proclaim to you. There's this proclamation. There's this preaching. There's this presentation that John is saying that we proclaim this to you. We did not make it up. This is real. This is true. This is reality. Paul, Paul's um, forceful and emphatic statement in driving home the point as if you could hear him there preaching was he says, for I delivered to you. In other words, he has taken from what Christ has given him and he is presenting it to us on a platter and saying, here, I deliver this to you. This is true. This is real. This is an actual event. And why did the apostles and the prophets and, and they, why did they write these words in the pages of scripture? So that you and I today in 2021 could believe and trust in Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the New Testament writings. It's so that you will hear the scriptures, you will hear the word, you will get saved, you'll become born again Christian, and you will follow Jesus Christ with all your heart. It's so that you can be born again. That's the testimony of these guys. They didn't make this up. This is not a wise tale. This, this is not a fairy tale. This is not, this is not Jack and the Beanstalk. This is true, actual, literal history. And this is truth for us today. So that's the inside statements that Peter makes here in this passage and that I share with you of what, um, of what, of what John and Paul share in their similar passages testifying to the truth that Christianity is real. Jesus said in John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except by me. The key word is Jesus says, I am the truth. Jesus said in John chapter 17, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, he says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. Family, you can trust in the word of God. You can trust and you can build your life on the teachings of Christ. And you can live for him according to the author's of scripture. So that's the inside testimony. Let's let's look at the uh, let's look at the outside. The outs the outside. Let's 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 go outside the Bible and let's look at history's view of the Bible, the culture's view of the Bible, how the Bible has come to be. What's the what's the evidence for the authenticity of scripture? Some people will claim, and I'm sure you've heard them, well, you see the Bible's been changed. It's been changed. It goes something like this. You see, with their sophisticated glasses, their scholarly glasses, they, they try to look real smart and real high and lofty and look professional, and they say, well, see, it goes like this. Some unknown monk in some unknown castle in some unknown time in some unknown location, maybe the Middle Ages, maybe, maybe not, he changed the Bible. Did you hear about that? This unknown monk in the Middle Ages he changed the Bible. And all of a sudden, everybody's fear strikes their heart as they hear this. But the Bible hasn't been changed. There's a serious manuscript problem with this theory that some monk, some unknown monk in unknown castle, unknown location, unknown name, he changed the Bible. There's a serious manuscript problem with this theory that's very popular. You see, this unknown monk would have had to go out and locate over 32,000 New Testament documents spread out over 18 million square miles of the European and African continent and the Middle East. He would have had to have changed them all in the exact same way, get them back to where he had taken them from without anybody knowing Sounds kind of silly. I agree. But this is the fairy tale. This is the fairy tale in the skeptic's mind that the Bible's been changed. Let's talk about ancient manuscripts. Let's talk about the manuscripts of the New Testament. I've created a a, a screen to show you this week. Um, we're We're looking at ancient manuscripts. Ancient manuscripts that date back to the time of Christ before some before the time of Christ and afterwards. But uh, here's what we have in ancient manuscripts. This is what we have on hand in the world today. Homer's Iliad, written 900 B.C. The earliest copy we have today was written around 400 B.C. It's just a fragment. And the time span between the original and the copy was 500 years. Number of copies we have today, 643. Man, I don't know about you, but that's pretty impressive. That's, that's pretty impressive. 643 copies of Homer's Iliad dating back from 900 B.C. Herodias wrote, if you can't see it, I'm going to read it. Herodias was written in 425 B.C. The earliest copy we have it today it was written in 900 A.D. Time span, 1,300 years. Copies that we have, which are just fragments, uh, seven. Plato. Plato was written in 347 B.C., 
latest copy, the, the copy we have in existence today is dated to 900 AD, 1200 year difference between the um, original and the copy. We have 10 copies. Aristotle, wow, that's pretty cool. Uh, 322, 322 BC. The copy we have today is dated at 1100 AD. Time span between the original and the copy that we have today is 1400 years. Number of copies, 49. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty good. Julius Caesar, he's talking about here the Julius Caesar and the Gaelic Wars. Date written 44 BC. The earliest copy we have today is uh, 900 AD, as you can see up on the screen. Time span from the original writing to the, the copy we have today is 1,000 um, years. Number of copies, we have today eight. So the big question in everybody's mind right now is, what about the New Testament? How about the Holy Bible? Where, where's the New Testament? The New Testament was written in this same time period. The, the Gospels were all written in the first century during this same period. Let's take a look at the New Testament. The New Testament was written between 45 and 95 AD. The earliest copies that we have today that you can go put your eyes on, you can get on a plane, you can go to a museum, you can look in the case and say, there it is, is dated to A.D. 130, less than 100 years from the original uh, between the original and the copy. Number of copies, 5,686. And that number, 5,686, that is just the Greek manuscripts. That's just the Koine Greek manuscripts that we have partial copies of today that you can go look. Now, also, um, my, my source for this is Dr. Norman Geisler, uh, Southeastern Evangelical Seminary, super smart guy. Um, he also makes note, if you include the Syriac, Latin, Coptic, and Aramaic copies of the New Testament, um, copies that we can go look at today, 24,686. If you're going to discount the Bible, you got to discount all of history. There's no comparison. There's no comparison at all when you look at the ancient manuscripts for the Bible. The evidence is there. And according to Dr. Norman Geisler, the textual accuracy, the, te the textual accuracy from what was written then to what we have now is an astounding 99.5% in variations from the original manuscripts today. What does this teach us, family? This teaches, we're looking at the outside, we're looking from the outside in at the Bible. We're looking at the way the world judges the scriptures, the way an academic scholar looks at the Bible. This teaches you and I that the Bible is accurate and that the Bible is trustworthy and you can bank your life on it. And if someone, if someone chooses to reject the Bible, it's not because of the evidence. It's not because of the evidence. Because the evidence is an overwhelming slam dunk shut case for the authenticity and the truth and the reliability of our New Testament. It's not because of the evidence that they reject the Bible. It's because they do not like what it says. The reason most people reject the Bible is because 
not because of its uh, accuracy or the historical things that took place or things they agree with or disagree. The reason most people reject the Bible is because it calls out their sin and their need to repent. They don't like the message. They don't like the message, and they don't like the message when it gets applied to their life. You see, it's not, it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. It's, it's a heart issue. It's not a head issue. Man, this book is solid. You can build your life on it. It has withstood the fiery test of skeptics, atheists, naysayers for 2,000 years. And guess what? It's still standing, and it's standing strong. It's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. That's why we have to pray for our friends and family and pray for those who don't believe it and we have to pray that God softens their hearts and that they receive his word. The Bible can be trusted. It is accurate and it is a trustworthy document. You can look on the inside and see the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. They didn't make this up. They just testified to what they saw. They, it was given to them by the Holy Spirit. So you can look inside the, 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 the scriptures, but you can also look outside the scriptures and see the manuscript evidence. Man, the word of God is true. King David said in Psalms, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. You can bank your life, not only on the New Testament, but also on the Old Testament. So we've looked on the inside of the Bible we looked on the outside of the Bible, continuing on in our verse-by-verse verse study. Now let's look at the purpose. What's the reason for the Bible? Is it to suppress people? Is it to put their thumb down and tell people how to live? Is it the opiate of the masses, as they said, as they said in the Middle Ages? What is the purpose of the New Testament? Let's continue verse 17 of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And this is the purpose. I'm, I'm calling this portion, this section, the purpose as we go here forward. It says, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter says, We were there. We were there on the mountain when we heard this, this voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The purpose of the New Testament, the purpose of the Bible is to point people to the Lord Jesus Christ, to where they can experience forgiveness, salvation, and healing for their soul. That's why we preach the scriptures. That's why we share the scriptures so that you can experience the power and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ who is revealed in these scriptures, okay? This is pointing you to him. That is the, that is the ultimate supreme purpose of the Bible is to point you and I to Jesus Christ the Son of God, who died on the cross and rose from the grave and is seated at the right hand of the Father. That is the ultimate purpose. The, ulti the, the main purpose of the Bible 
It's not, to you to, it's not to help you find your purpose or your destiny in life. It's not to help you have a stronger marriage. It's not to be your moral compass. It's not to defend the existence of God. It's not even to become a Bible scholar. Even though all those are important things that, that help us grow, those are not the main reasons for the Bible. The main purpose for the Bible is to point you to the one who will forgive you of your sins, the one who will give you a new life, and the one who will heal your soul. That's the main point of the Bible. The main point of the Bible is to help you to repent and turn from your sins and put your trust in Christ and to get saved and to trust in the one that they saw on this mountain who is all glorious, all beautiful, and all magnificent. And Peter is saying here in the text, verses 17, he said, he's saying that we saw his majesty on the mountain. We, we heard that voice from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father gave his only begotten son so that we could find our way back to God, so that we could find forgiveness of sin, so that we could have a new life. His son that he loved, his son that he had spent all eternity with, there was a point in eternity where Joseph and Mary were getting ready and Jesus was going to come into this world. And there was a point in eternity where the father looked to the son and said, son, it's showtime. And he left the father's side and he came into this world and was born of a virgin, lived a sinless, perfect life, suffered and died on the cross and rose from the grave to give us eternal life. He, he didn't come to bring you religion. He didn't come to bring you tradition. He came to bring you into a personal and living relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We call it the Christian life where we're living for Christ and we're serving him. So again, the purpose is to meet this one that's all glorious that they witnessed on the mountain Verse 19, continuing with the thought of the purpose of the Bible. Look at verse 19. He says, For we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. He says, open up, opening up of verse 19, So we have the prophetic word made more sure. That's an interesting statement. What does he mean by the prophetic word made more sure. Well, you see, when Peter was writing this, they already had the Old Testament. And the prophetic word of the Old Testament was already prophesying, saying that a Messiah would come, that God would come in the flesh, that one would come whose origin, as Micah says it, from all eternity, and he would destroy the works of Satan. So just by look, looking at the Old Testament, there was this prophetic word that Christ was going to come. And now he's saying it's been made more sure. How has it been made more sure? By the witness of the disciples. They saw this. You know, they, Jesus, they didn't come after Jesus. Jesus came after them. In other words, Christianity was initiated with God coming in the flesh. 
and calling those disciples and discipling them for three and a half years, teaching them everything that we have in the scriptures, letting them witness the death, letting them witness his resurrection, letting them witness his ascension so that they could carefully, methodically document it so you and I could have the same experience so that you and I can trust in Christ just like they did. You see what the New Testament is? The New Testament is a front row seat to the life, death, resurrection, and ministry of Jesus Christ. Okay? It's a front row seat. If you open your Bible and have, a, have some faith in your heart, trusting in it, seeing it, letting it come to life in your mind, in your heart, you can see these things taking place in his ministry. So he says, the prophetic word has been made more sure. And then he says, you do well to pay attention as, a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Again, the purpose of the Bible, it is the lamp that shines into our dark hearts. It's the lamp that shines into our dark hearts and into this dark world. And it points us to the light of the world, Jesus. That's the purpose of the Bible. As, as we read the scriptures, as we study Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Corinthians, Romans, Peter, Revelation, as, 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 as we study the pages of scripture, the Holy Spirit illuminates the word in our heart and it, it produces a faith in Christ Jesus. And it gives us the ability to say, Lord, I trust you. I believe and I know that you're real and I'm going to live my life for you and I'm going to put my faith in you. That is the purpose of the Bible. That is the purpose of the New Testament. To, it, it's, it, it shines in our darkness. It shines in our darkness. See, we come into this world fallen, marred by sin, living in darkness, According to Ephesians chapter 2, we're dead in our sins. We're dead in our trespasses. We're living in darkness. And God awakes us. He awakes us by the proclamation of the word of God that gives us faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. There's, there's power. Not only is there power in the name of Jesus, as the worship um, team's team saying, but there's power in the word that when we hear the word, it produces faith. This is the purpose. Until the day dawns and the bright morning star arises into your heart. When I hear that phrase, you know, it just makes me think about when you, that first moment where you open your heart to Christ and you say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. I repent. I turn from my sin and I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. And the, and the bright morning star arises in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, this is about a relationship. This is about a, a walk of faith. This is about living for him. That's the purpose of the Bible, is to point you to Jesus. Let's finish it up here, verse 20. We'll actually, we'll read verses 20 and 21. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
He opens up verse 20. He says, but know this first of all. In other words, Peter is saying, you got to get this. you got to understand this. If you don't get this, it's really going to cause you to trip up along the way. But what is this? He wants us, but know this. In other words, get this firmly planted in your head, in your heart. Let this be solid, that you understand this, that the Bible is not made up, that the Bible is not a product of human beings, human beings, but it's a product of the Holy Spirit inspiring the apostles and the prophets to write these things down. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, God used Peter. He used his personality. He used his way of thinking. But ultimately, the words that Peter penned along with Paul, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and all the other guys is, is they were dictated and guided by the Holy Spirit. They were guided by the Holy Spirit. They were moved by the Holy Spirit. The words of the Bible, yes, they're written by prophets. They're written by apostles. But you need to understand, again, the opening of verse 20, but know this first of all, please get this foundation, that the words of Scripture were given by the Holy Spirit. They are inspired. They are infallible. And they are inerrant. It is God's word to you and I. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16, this is actually uh, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 go hand in hand with what Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. When scholars are studying the authenticity and the authority of Scripture, they really look hard at these two passages. And the other passage is found in 2 Timothy 3.16 where uh, Paul says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In our English translation, it says inspired by God. In the Greek, it's theonostos. It means literally God breathed it out. It literally means in the Greek language, the Greek words that were used, that the words of scripture are breathed out by the breath of all mighty God. That's why it stands the test of time. That's why you can look inside the testimony of the authors. You can judge it by the internal testimony. You can judge it by the outside testimony. But it is sure. So why do we believe the Bible? Why do we believe the Bible? Why why is it, Pastor David, you're saying I can trust in the Bible? One, because it's tried true, and tested. People have tried to destroy this book. They've tried to end it, but it's mission impossible. You know what's the really cool thing is in almost every household across the planet, whether they're Christian, they're atheist, they're Buddha, whatever religion or whatever worldview they have, everybody has a copy of the Bible. Is that not God's sovereignty? Is that not God's providence? I remember many years living in my, in my home as a child and us not going to church or following Christianity, but I always remember seeing a Bible on the shelf. And I remember one day as a kid, I, I pulled it off the shelf, blew all the dust of it off, and I started reading it. And I started reading Genesis, and I got to about Genesis chapter 7 or 8, and I kind of faded out. Then I tried to look at Leviticus, and I was like, oh, forget that. <laughs> I, I can't read that. It wasn't until later on in life that someone said, hey, man, If you want to understand the Bible, 
go read the Gospel of John. And later on in life, after I'd been introduced to Christ, I started reading the Gospel of John. And I was like, ah, okay, I see it now. I see the big picture. The Bible is meant to point us to Christ. Not that Genesis didn't. Jesus was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. The proto-evangelium, they call it. Where it says that he would strike Satan's head. And, and, and Satan would strike his heel and he would be destroyed. But the purpose of the Bible is to point you to Christ. The, the Bible is historically accurate. It is historically accurate. It is inspired by God, as we talked about a while ago. It's inspired, it's infallible, inerrant. Well, Pastor David, what's the application for me today? What's the application from this message on why I believe the Bible? The application today is you can believe the Bible and let your heart and your mind rest and trust in the truth of the Bible. You can trust in the Bible. You can build your life upon the Bible. But foremost, the most important thing in the Bible, you need to understand, because just believing in the Bible, trusting in the Bible, and building your life upon the Bible will not save you. What will save you, what will transform you, is when you trust and believe in the person that's in the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is just the messenger to us that says, trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. So, so the, knowing that the Bible's true, what does that teach us? That teaches us that salvation is real. That the salvation experience is real. That becoming a believer is real. That becoming a Christian is real. That heaven is real. Hell is real. There's a future great tribulation. There's a rapture of the church that's going to take place. All the things in Scripture are true historically in the past and the things to come in the future. And so what does that tell us? That we can put our trust in Christ. Have you gone beyond the point of putting your trust in the Bible to putting your trust in Jesus who's revealed in the Bible. Pastor David, what does that look like? I like to explain to people, uh, salvation is being born again. It's where you say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life. Please forgive me of my sins. And please come in and give me a new heart. Help me to become born again and put my trust in you. Salvation, Ray Comfort explains, salvation is like a coin. That coin has two sides. One side is faith. It simply means you put your trust in Jesus Christ. The other side of the coin is repentance. And repentance is simply saying, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. I turn away from the old life and I put my trust in you. Have you done that? If you've done that, then the Bible has served its purpose in your life. Now what you need to do is continue to grow. But if you haven't done that, you need to take the first step of the Bible, which is to commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent, believe, and receive him, and let him begin to build your life. If you haven't done that, please do not leave Calvary Chapel Irma this morning without talking to me or one of the leaders and asking us to pray with you. Pray with you a prayer of salvation, a prayer of repentance and faith and putting your trust in Christ.
So please, that's, the, that's the most important point of the Bible, family, is to point you to Jesus, who said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. The New Testament repeats it three times. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. And then God will begin to work in your life. Family, you can trust the Bible, you can trust the New Testament, and you can trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Father, your word, Jesus, you said in Matthew chapter 7, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to be wise in believing you, Lord Jesus, trusting in you, Lord, and building our life upon your word. Father, thank you for this inspired word that you had Peter write to us. That, Lord, we can trust in your word. They were eyewitnesses, physically eyewitnesses. And, Lord, we can be eyewitnesses by faith, by faith in your word, faith in scripture, letting it take us back to those moments and seeing it through the pages of scripture. So, Lord, let us be encouraged today. Let us trust you with all of our hearts and let us know that your word is forever established in heaven and on earth. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.